0: Mishka Shibali is catching up with friends who are arguably more talented than him. Hey, hi, hello. What's up, gang? Uh, this is Mishka Shabali. Hopefully you... Hopefully that's not a surprise to you and that you're in the right place. I'm going to try to record little sort of headers up front before the episodes now because now I understand why people do that. Um, great episode today with Luisa Diaz, um, who is actually the first person I think I'm interviewing who's not um, an old friend, but, uh, but actually somebody I'm a fan of. Um, before I get into that... I, I just want to tackle a little bit uh, where I've been, what I've been up to. I just got back from L.A. Uh, where uh, they held the funeral service for my my friend, my mentor, my musical hero, Mark Lanigan. Um, I feel uh, exhausted and shell-shocked from the experience and also uh, a lot better. I sort of forgot why we do that necessary ritual of... Funerals, um, because I usually skip them, but I had a, um, just a weird experience I want to sort of address. Uh, I, I went to the funeral feeling really weird and really self conscious, um, that I didn't, uh, belong there or that, you know, I'd sort of somehow, uh, gotten the invite by mistake. Uh, imposter syndrome at a funeral is that's a really low, weird feeling. And then when, as soon as I got there, uh, I realized I was the uh, the least interesting person in the building. Um, lots of musicians and artists who I um, who, who, if I you know, wasn't just an outright fan of them, you know, definitely people I know. Um, and then when they ushered us into the the funeral or in, uh, into the the church, the chapel for the, you know, for the actual service, I didn't know where to sit, um, sort of like the, the lunchroom at a new school. And, uh, I, so I just sort of sat somewhere randomly. And then, um, uh, my friend Ben Schaefer and a woman who runs the Lanigan fan site sat next to me on my left. And then another guy came over to sit next to me on my right. And that man's name was slash, And uh, that was really weird for me because Guns N' Roses was kind of my gateway drug to rock and roll, and I've really been waiting for 35 years to tell Slash how cool I think he is, and I'm not going to do that at my fucking friend's funeral. And it, it was, I don't know, it was such a weird, gross moment where... People contact me all the time and send me weird messages about the Stanhope or Rich Roll or Adrian Grenier or Lanigan or you know the the people I know who are uh, bigger or more famous than I am, and it's always kind of gross um, that they can't conceal their naked lust for fame for celebrity, and in that moment. You know, sitting there next to Slash, who I have been an unabashed fan of forever. The I had that urge too. I wanted to say something to him, and like, what? What was I going to say? You know, like, oh, uh, you know, that one time when you ripped that huge solo, like that fucking rocked, bro. Um, you know, it's disgusting. We were there to to honor Mark, and uh, and so we just sat there and you know there were uh, people spoke and sort of recalled memories and stuff and uh i don't know i it's weird because i did the right thing um and then the there was one moment where somebody was talking about what a dick lanigan could be and slash and i laughed at the same time and i felt felt okay that I'd like done the right thing that um rather than me like prostrate myself before this celebrity who's had a million other people do that to him before in his life and cares nothing for it the um by just keeping my mouth shut and conducting myself with dignity and honoring our friend the I got to have sort of a a weirder bittersweet, but ultimately more satisfying moment where of just Slash and I laughing together at the same time remembering our colossal asshole buddy. <laughs> um the Yeah, so I don't know. I just wanted to get that out. Um up next is uh my conversation with Luisa Diaz. Um I I only know Louisa from her from her voice online, from her tweets and from her her podcast, uh, Why You Mad with my friend Jake Flores. The I really admire Louisa. I um I think one of the reasons that I like her so much is is because we don't there's a lot of stuff that we don't agree on. She always brings um, conflicting opinions, conflicting takes that then I'm forced to sort of consider and evaluate because she is so smart and she brings, um, you know, a tremendous amount of, uh, research and footnotes, uh, with her to an argument. The, I didn't, uh, I didn't realize that this podcast would get as personal as it did, but, um, it was, I don't know. It was super rewarding to have to speak to another person who's, um, uh, blunt and, direct and there's nothing sort of standing but between her and her enthusiasm for the world, the universe, knowledge, experience, um, etc. So uh thanks for listening. Please uh sign up for the Patreon, Patreon.com slash Mishka Shabali. The please buy a thing. I have a new book. I have T-shirts. I will sell you anything, um, and all of that goes towards uh, buying new toys for my cat and dog. Um, I don't know. All right, here's Louisa. Thanks so much for tuning in. Because I feel like everybody says all the good shit off mic, and then as soon as uh, we hit record, then everybody clams right up. The um...
1: I agree. Good shit get gets said off mic, but. I don't climb up. I've got the opposite problem afterwards. I'm always like, oh, <laughs> fuck. I shouldn't have said that. But not that I didn't mean it, but that was probably mean. <laughs> that kind of thing.
0: The um, I gotta throw my headphones on here because I keep getting nagged about the audio quality. Um, See
1: too. meet. Mishka.
0: Oh, my God. The I've uh, I've heard this cat and. Uh,
1: She's a YA mad regular, yeah.
0: The All right, my headphones aren't working. Um, fuck it, the train's going off the tracks already. Uh, <laughs> welcome to uh, my not podcast in which we, um, for the first time, we are breaking from my format of uh, just hanging out with old friends and being like, you know, what have you been up to? Um, okay. For the first time, we, uh, when I say uh, hello, stranger, I mean it. I'm um, a new
1: friend. I'm a new friend.
0: Well, we'll see. We'll see how this goes, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, the, I, I will admit no, that uh, if you've been listening to Why You Mad lately, I have been a bit combative uh lately.
0: <laughs> you have been uh, on the tear.
1: Yeah, and I don't think it's on purpose, uh, but you know, I don't know. It's a movie I've been in.
0: The um but yeah, the we're we're not friends yet. I'm just a fan the um and that's why I wanted to have you on the so welcome to the show, Louisa Diaz. um she is a podcaster, an anthropologist, a writer, a hardcore comedy fan, <laughs> but not a comic right um i was uh, I was thinking about your bio today and stuff, and I was like the we have fucking nothing in common
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, music is so uh you know, I feel pretty confident that I know at least a little bit about most things and I'm confident, let's say about like the music that I know that I like, but I don't ever go toe to toe with music people because I know I don't know as much as you guys about music. And it's probably one of the few times that I just shut the fuck up and I listen (laughs) because I'm like, I don't get it, man. I have no rhythm. I can't. I can't do I can't get it. I don't know. Music is really really difficult for me in the way that I think people talk about math. It just doesn't square for me, but I love musicians because I love artists of all kinds. So I feel like I can make judgments or observations anthropologically about musicians, but I just cannot like have a conversation with you guys about music, because then it'll be quite evident that I don't know shit. <laughs> the
0: um, I, I mean, I'm actually super relieved to hear that because I was the, I mean, because what we're going to talk about today, I think, is uh, the many things um, where you know uh, so much more than I do. The, um, I want to dive into this with, um, <laughs> this is like such a, uh, such a huge open question um how did you get to be the way that you are um you're <laughs> you're you're very opinionated you're very smart you're incredibly well researched the um you're a fucking maniac in debates the because you um you say wild shit and then you fucking back it up and
1: <laughs> the, I know, jake loves to call me an edge lord <laughs> i'm like i'm not though i'm <laughs> I thought this thoroughly through. You're an edge lady. Mm -hmm. I'm an edge lady. Yeah. Um, Well, you know, first of all, thank you for having me on because uh, I'm I'm excited to talk to you. I am a fan of yours as well. You sent me a t shirt, which I proudly wear. Uh, So I was really looking forward to this. Um, and partially because I know we are very different, you know what I mean? So it's cool to me that we kind of came to a similar place about the things that we're thinking about, the friends that we have, the circles that we kind of touch on, even though we come from totally different worlds. So that to me is super cool. Uh, But to answer your question, (laughs) so you know what, I, I guess I'll get personal on this one because I have been the way I am for most of my life. I would say probably since I was like 12, right? And I would say uh, the major things that happened in my life that turned me into who I am are that, uh, so I had young parents. My mom was 20 and my dad was 25 when they had me and I'm the first American in my family. So I have not just that generational gap that you all know with your parents where they like don't get your world and your point of view and all of that. Right. I also have a cultural gap <laughs> with my parents where they don't understand even like American humor or any of it, right? So um, number one, being American while my parents and family were not was a huge thing.
0: I, I feel like all the best, sharpest... Uh, you know, sort of social and cultural critics of America are um, either from other countries or first generation.
1: I agree. I agree. And you know what? I think it's not like I don't think it's like a compliment or something to be proud of. I think it's actually a direct result of the schism that happens early on for us that most people maybe don't experience maybe when they go to college and for the first time they're away from their parents and they meet people who are different than them or something like that. Or they move to a city in their 20s and that shit happens for me. uh, I was born in America, raised in America for a little bit, went back to Colombia and then my dad was killed when I was 10. And when my dad was killed, uh, you know, he died because of violence. And so did I want to say most of the men that I knew growing up and so what i ended up seeing was like a lot of widows my uh, mishka and they were like you know beautiful young women with multiple kids who were just like fucked after their husbands died there were no you know social resources to help them their men were all dead they now had children to care for so they're less desirable to getting another man <laughs> you know what i mean uh and so when my dad died, my mom, my mom, my brother and I were American, right? So my mom was like, fuck this. We're out. (laughs) We're going back to America, uh, because she knew at least in America, we would have like public school, all this stuff. Right. And so we came back to America and I went straight from seeing like all of these women, just their lives destroyed by losing their men to, uh, being in America where I was being told things like, you can be anything you want to be. Men are the same as women. We don't see color. This is also like 90s, you know? So like, yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, the Bill Clinton fucking everything. You can have everything. You can be everything. You can break the glass ceiling, all that shit. So I really like believed that shit early on. And I took in feminism, and I read books, and I became. By the time I was twelve, I was like, I rejected my confirmation. You know, I came from a very Catholic family, and I refused to do my confirmation. Um, I was the little asshole that was like confronting my mom constantly about the shit that they said at church because she would make me go every Sunday, and then afterwards I would be like, Here's everything I have a problem with. Answer me this, (laughs) you know? And I just fucking like ruined her life. so I think, I mean, I don't know if that answers your question, but basically like I had two reasons to really believe that the way we keep being told that this is how we should live didn't jive with how, with what I'm seeing. We're keeping told like go be a wife and a mother but I'm seeing that's not working out for everyone. We're being told like oh everybody's equal and everybody gets a chance to do whatever. And I'm seeing that's not working out for everyone. Because at the same time, when I moved to America and I'm hearing all of these narratives of equality, I also for the first time ever met like, I guess like a white trash person you know, like a very poor white person. Yeah. And then uh, I met for the first time, you know, like black kids who were who lived in uh, foster homes and there was like multiple kids all living in a foster home, Um, all kinds of situations and family arrangements. You know, the first time I met kids with gay parents, all of that was through public school. And I got to see that not everybody's treated the same. Not everyone got all the same opportunities. So, I think the fact that I, I was presented with like conflicting ideologies and realities very early on, just made me think that um, I should think about which ideologies to pick up and which uh, traditional rituals and behaviors to pick up and which not to pick up. And I don't think I'm 100% right or like I'm done. I just think I have to keep doing it forever. if that makes sense like an alcoholic right it's like every day i gotta make sure to not try and fall into the well christmas would be nice trap (laughs) or whatever it may be
0: i man i had no idea that that's where um That was your sort of origin myth. That was your, you know, because I mean, there's so much there that I hear you talk about. You know, the um, that you push against motherhood as a defining element of being a woman. The, I mean, in that story, we see how parenthood, um, uh, uh, or or widowhood, it it seems like a woman is subhuman. The, you know, we have this um, world where a woman uh, it doesn't, or we're presented with this reality in which a woman doesn't achieve her true self until she has children uh, but if she has children out of a marriage then she's uh, less of a human the yeah. she's a liability um and then the lack of social or welfare
1: yeah. Or even if she has them in marriage and her husband dies or they get divorced, Yeah, then, you know, I would say even now, young women joke about like, it's fun to date a divorced dad and stuff like that. But nobody's really out there like trying to date a woman with kids except for like pedophiles, I feel like and like, uh, you know and people who don't want real commitment quote unquote so they're just like oh this is just like a quick thing um and it's much harder for women with children to find love again and then never mind if they actually like need a partner to survive financially
0: i'm uh i'm dating a woman who has a daughter and cool. uh and thank you it feels good to be a hero
1: the, uh, <laughs> You're not a hero but it's cool that you get new experiences meeting a a kid that's like half grown. How old is the kid?
0: Uh she's 5. Oh okay. The um and I, I mean I'll be honest it, it's fucking terrifying for me. The yeah. um and you know one of the one of the few things that I did right was to um you know to tell the woman on our first date that I was scared. You know the um and then I met her kid for the first time recently and uh my mom's redoing this like fucked up crusty old trailer that we found and in the trailer we found this like huge box of crystals so the (laughs) the first thing that I did when I met um when I met her daughter was to um you know show her the box of crystals and be like you get to pick one because I know that like for little girls you know the the magic in crystals is uh unproven or suspect at best, but for a little girl, the, there's the, <laughs> well, it it's
1: a shiny rock. So yes. who wouldn't yeah. want it? Yeah. I would want it. And I don't believe in crystals, but no, I think that's really great. And you know, what I would tell you is uh, or what I have done when I've dated people with kids is, you know um, of course you're nervous because you don't want to be a person who impacts this young person's life in a negative way that then they remember. But I think that all we can do is like realize that uh, ultimately the responsibility of who is being exposed to the kid is the parents responsibility, not ours. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But what is our responsibility is to make sure 100% that whenever you are around the kid, you are treating their mother or, or their parent correctly, that you, you know, like by correctly, I mean, like with kindness and respect, et cetera. And um, that you, you know, surprisingly talk to kids honestly and like an adult don't baby talk them. Uh, That's not good for their development and it's not good for you to step into a role of like, oh, I'm parenting you or babying you. No, we just met, <laughs> you know, like we're going to be pals. <laughs> so like, if you ask me a question, I'll answer your question to the best of my ability. If we get into weird stuff like death or how babies are born or shit like that, then you say like, you know what? I'm not sure. Let's ask your mom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like,
0: the, so um,
1: be a cool, respectful role model pal. And I think that's all that you can do.
0: The, the first time that we met, I was terrified because um, because her daughter went after my cat. And mm-hmm. my cat's uh, special needs, delicate little flower. And okay. I was like, oh, God, you know, the um, but then we, I went by I went for a hike with a friend uh, on Sunday and then stopped by um, my girl's place and she was feeling under the weather. And I sort of like stopped off there with my dog. And like we walked in the door and her daughter immediately threw like a plastic lay over Sadie's neck and then they Mm -hmm. like ran out to her treehouse and Sadie climbed the ladder right into her treehouse. And then she was like, she had some salt and vinegar chips and she was like, these are my favorite. Do you want some? And I was like, they're my favorite too. So I was like, (laughs) you know, the, I don't know, the first day was weird. And then the second day I, I feel like I killed it the so i don't know we'll see what the third the third time that we hang out with that yeah
1: no that sounds good meet her on her level uh you know keep it appropriate but not dumbed down and as soon as anything weird gets asked <laughs> or happens, you just be like, we got to get your mom. Let's ask your mom what she thinks <laughs> and then put it on the mom.
0: <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, that was one of the things that I sort of figured out early on. It yeah. was I, you know, I, I definitely took it on myself that I was like, you know, you don't want a weird guy like me around your kid. You know, and then I was like, no, the, trust the mom, you know, that she. Trust the mom. She's a good curator of her child's experience. Totally. And And look, uh, if
1: you're going to be a good person, um, I am a proponent of bringing weirdos around your kid. Because weirdos who are not uh, abusers or people who are going to uh, role model shitty behaviors like sexism or misogyny or racism around them. Then otherwise, if you're like an artsy weirdo with weird ideas and politics and good stuff that the mom approves of, then uh, I i don't know, I really believe it takes a village and you you actually relieve, relieve the parents of some responsibility by being another adult role model figure around the kid you know, which is why it's important to try to be your best, but it's also not a hundred percent your responsibility. So yeah. You know, if she trusts you to be around, then you got to trust in yourself that you've been approved. You've been greenlit.
0: That's one of the things that I found from like being an uncle is that like my, my, my older sister has four kids and their, their father's a Marine. So he's sort of like a certain way product of the military. The, and, uh, I cry so much, <laughs> cry, like <laughs> around my sister's kids. And I'm like the, yeah, you know, you can see that um, that a dude doesn't need to drink and that dudes yeah. cry and that like, I'll get down on the floor with the dog and hang out with the dog. And that like, yeah. I have a life where I'm not working for a fucking corporate America or whatever the um, They're all and you
1: patriotic. Can, or yeah. You yeah. Know, and but,
0: you can swear yeah. and be a good person. And you know, the, yeah. Um, so I don't know. We'll see, we'll see how that goes the um one of the things that i and and you know this is sort of like thrust into higher relief now that i know sort of your origin story is that um you're still deeply passionate about all this shit. you um you haven't given in to like cynicism or bitterness or hopelessness, or that you had a great line the other day about uh, you know swinging between uh, hubris and despair. And I was like, "That's what my dog does too. <laughs> she's like, she's only ever a hundred percent happy or a hundred percent bummed out." The but um, I don't know how do you not like stop caring? How do you not give up?
1: Uh, that's a hard one because you know because we're all hard on ourselves. I don't wow I'm surprised that you see it that way. I think of myself as like not doing enough <laughs> because Okay, so, you know, uh, I'll be honest, like I I went to school to be an anthropologist and all this stuff. And it wasn't about being an anthropologist, because that's that used to be when I went to school, uh, being a person from the rich white west and then going to a brown place and writing a book about them. (laughs) And that's what the whole job was. So I didn't study it to be an anthropologist or to be a professor. I studied it to live a better life myself. Right. So my project, my whole life has been me, has been my life and how to live. And so I have considered like consistency in my ideals to be something that I have to maintain throughout my life. And consistency, you know, like it for me, it includes bringing in new information and meeting new kinds of people and reassessing my my ideology and my stance on things. And therefore, I'm not saying that i decided when i was 12 how i am and then that's it it's that uh, when i was like really young i decided that there is no such thing as ultimate truth in anything there is only i can collect information and believe in my own judgment and while understanding that my judgment is limited because i can't possibly have all the information right so I have committed to that and I'm proud of myself, you know, like, especially I turned 40 this year. And uh, it's really funny, Mishka, because, you know, you've heard some of my background, but like the way I was raised was like super Catholic, Latina household. So I was raised to be a wife and a mom and I have five degrees. (laughs) And when I was like in my third degree or something like that, my mom just straight up said to my face like oh you know like why are you still in school you could have had two kids by now <laughs> you know like never mind that i don't have a husband she's just like you could have had two kids by now so while i had like white friends and even brown friends with like moms they were like why aren't you more like your friend louise <laughs> my mom was like ah, she's wasting her time with all this bullshit instead of having babies and uh i so i just heard for my whole life like you're just saying that because you're young. You don't really mean that. You'll change your mind when you get older. And then as I got older, it was like, you better change your mind before you regret it. <laughs> you know, like that kind of shit. And I got to be 40 and I am still really happy with my choices and really happy that I stuck by my ideals. And the Which the ideals not being, oh, I won't get married and not have babies. The ideals being, I will never do those things because someone else tells me that I should or expects me to. And so far in my whole life, I haven't desired it myself. So I did the right thing and everyone who told me I was wrong was wrong and it feels really fucking good. And I had one time a few years ago, my mom one day suddenly just said to me out of nowhere, we were just hanging out and she said to me, "Um, you know, I just wanna tell you, I'm really proud of you because you've lived the kind of life I didn't even know was possible. And I straight up cried, Mishka, like in the way that you would probably cry over this (laughs) because, you know, I had lived most of my life with the idea that I will never have my parents acceptance. My dad, because he's dead. And even if he was alive, he would not love what I'm doing. (laughs) And my mom is never going to love what I'm doing. And I just grew up understanding. So, like, I even didn't get people who are obsessed with their parents approval because i knew from age 12 (laughs) that i would never have it and so i just moved on and i moved my moved on to live my life another way and then fucking, i'm like 37 or something and my mom came around to realize that yeah dude i am the first woman in my entire family tree that had the actual option of whether or not to be a mother and that seems like oh whatever you're missing out on a great thing but I think you don't see that I really I really believe that every sacrifice in my family lineage led to me having the option to live my life like a gallivanting gay man <laughs> who gets to travel the world and be educated and have weird friends and fucking visit other people's kids and whatever, you know what I mean? So I am proud and happy that I held on to my beliefs and my ideals and I've been a consistent person But I don't feel like I've done enough, um, I guess, in the world to I did. I do have that nihilist Gen X side of me. You know, I'm slightly younger than Gen X, but slightly older than millennials. So I do have the millennial thing of like, I believe in myself and everything I deserve. (laughs) But I have the Gen X thing where I kind of don't think that it's fixable and nobody's going to listen to me. and we can't do anything about it because everybody's pretending everything's great. And I'm like, look at all these fucking problems. <laughs> right. So I do often go into a very negative, nihilist side of things. I think it's why I am off the cuff, off the cuff, like crude, you know, is because I almost don't think that my words matter often because they won't change anything, um,
0: I, I disagree.
1: I know, yeah. and I often, I disagree too. But that's the hubris despair thing, right? Yeah. Where when you're feeling the hubris, you think like maybe I'll reach one person or some people. I I mean I,
0: I have to tell you on a personal yeah. level the the like the discourse that you've had with Jake over the last. I know I'm a, like a late um a, a late listener to the podcast, but the you know the discourse you've had with Jake has um I'll listen to a podcast and then think about it for four days. The it's been um alternately, uh, comforting and agonizing, uh, for me, you know, to, (laughs) to, to, uh, you know, to listen to some of the podcasts and, you know, where you guys are presenting, you know, sort of a, an in-depth measured critique of something. And I listen, you know, listen to it and I'm like, I'm every one of those things, Mm -hmm. you know, the, like the, um, I, I watch euphoria and imagine myself to be Rue and I'm closer to fucking, uh, Cal, you know, like, (laughs) ah, you know, the, um, the but i i think what you're describing here is that from age 12 you made a decision to continually interrogate um yourself and the and and you made a decision to or, or you saw a means of improving the world or or rolling the ball forward for humanity by investing in yourself which to me is such a fascinating thing you know this the sort of the idea of like benevolent selfishness where Um, the, you are a person in the world. If you can make that person's life better in a meaningful way, then it counts as doing good. You don't have to do a a fucking charity fun run or the, um, you know, other sort of performative um, altruism that you can just try to um, live a courageous life and and that will make a difference. Am I reading that correctly? Fuck. Or is our internet dying? It's your- oh, hey.
1: oh, wait. oh, wait.
0: Hi. There, I can- she's back. Okay. Hi. The Did you catch any of uh, my incredibly long-winded paragraph compliment?
1: uh yes i did i did so i was saying what i was replying to you is like you know uh tongue-in-cheek saying like of course you would see the positive side of that because you're gen x so you're like you're you're doing <laughs> I'm five more years than the i know but that means you are slightly more nihilist than i am okay by the sciences <laughs> by the very hard sciences of generation science <laughs> uh it's not hard at all i'm totally just kidding um but um i hope so you know like uh, part of the reason that I've chosen to because before doing the podcast with Jake Mesko I was not a public person like I had a twitter uh but I booked comedy shows as a side thing I've I've worked in museums I was not uh I never did stand up I've never done a fucking mini series like or what is it web series nothing I don't I'm not a performer but uh I do have great interesting conversations with most people that i have conversations with and jake is one of the people that i had regularly good conversations with and they were things that we talked about they were comedy related and not comedy related that i started to think were things that i should talk about publicly because i felt like so many people weren't talking about them publicly and now i do feel like you know i still feel like it's not enough it's not the biggest deal it's not fucking organizing or whatever but it is um i hope to just like the way i think of it is i honestly didn't have heroes is that fucked up to say <laughs> but like there like, i grew un- up
0: unpack that
1: yeah okay i i grew up with like there were no uh heroes that looked like me anywhere in literature, TV, Mm. film, anything. And I don't mean just look like me physically or like my race, but I mean like, for example, uh, up until Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the series, I never saw a woman hero who was not a hero because she had been raped or because she was defending her children or because her whole village had been burned down you know what i mean like literally every woman hero that came before buffy the vampire slayer that i've seen that i got to see as a child uh was Based on that, based on the tropes of like a woman's humanity only exists in the sense of her as a mother, a wife, or a sexual object. And every single, you know, Wonder Woman, fucking everything. They're like sexualized (laughs) fucking. And and
0: also they're avengers, they're they're reacting.
1: Yes, they're reacting to violence.
0: And Buffy was uh she was the hunter
1: she was the hunter of evil yeah and it yeah. was her job to uh maintain a balance like to me she was a girl spider-man you know who was just <laughs> like i feel the responsibility of my powers and i have yeah. to fucking go out there and do the job man <laughs> and like to me that was awesome because with uh peter parker you don't get this whole, i mean you get that like his uncle or whatever was killed in a ro- in a mugging, a mugging or whatever but you don't really get that everything he does is based on trauma. It's based on a sense of justice, right? And Buffy also experienced some traumas, but her drive as a hero was not based on her trauma. It was based on her sense of justice. And so that's what I mean that like, I didn't grow up with, You know, it was a time where being feminist meant being like manly (laughs) or even now ooh, this might get me in trouble. But even now (laughs) uh, there is a sense of like if you're not the right type of woman, you might be non-binary. And I uh, am saddened by that is the best way to put it, because if you do identify as like neither gender, then absolutely that's to you. But if you do somehow identify like as a woman, but you don't feel like what most people, including women, define woman as, and it, it makes you feel rejected, it makes me sad to think that you decide to go for another label rather than fight against these exclusive ideas of what woman is. Uh, because I feel like that was my, my fight was to say, uh, being a woman is not only being a mother, it's not only being a wife, it's not only being a caregiver, it's not only being hot, it's not only being naked, (laughs) you know, like, it's a bunch of other things. And I don't regret that I did that. But to your earlier question, I feel like, Uh, All my friends that have kids, um, some of them get put off by my jokes and my comments about people breeding and trad stuff and all that stuff. But that's really me just making jokes against the hegemony of the world that I exist in, where we are all all being told you're supposed to have babies by now. What are you doing? Um, But in reality, if you actually know me, I am good with kids and kids like me. And in my opinion, it would be better for your kids to have people like me around who would present them with the idea that they can be anything they want to be
0: yeah the um it's it's funny because when i uh when i adopted my cat the
1: i love uh, that we went from kids to cats because that's as far as i'm going with kids i love it (laughs)
0: um she wasn't the cat that i wanted Um, me
1: too oh my god tell me about this okay go on when when
0: um my girlfriend at the time and I went to the animal shelter and I found this like little tabby cat who was just like so perfect. She was so beautiful and so laid back and so chill. And then I was like, you know, I sort of made up my mind that night. Okay. Okay. That's the cat. And we'll go back and get her. And we went back and she was gone. And I was, I almost cried. I like fucking had to walk out in the parking lot. Cause I'd made up my mind that, you know, the, and then, um, she talked me into going back in. we went back in and there was, and we looked around at all these other kittens and they just like, weren't right. And then there was this one like not really a cat and not really a kitten the sort of in between and she was in a cage by herself like solitary confinement and i was like
1: (laughs) i was like what's
0: what's up with that cat and they were like well she's special needs so she can't play with the other cats because she Mm -hmm. might get hurt and the and i was like all right well let me see the broken cat you know and then (laughs) so i went we went in the other room to like play with her and she couldn't really stand up and couldn't really walk and she was like I wanted a cuddly cat and she was like sort of too squirmy. But when I was talking to them, they were like, she needs a home with a lot of attention, a lot of supervision. Um, She needs to not, um, not be an outdoor cat. She needs to be, you know, in a home with no stairs. All these things where I was like, that's me, that's me, that's me. And I realized that she wasn't the perfect cat, but that I was the perfect, um, the perfect person to take on Mm. this, you know, this imperfect cat and um and i fucking love her so much you know and the at one point my girlfriend made me uh like a cat sling for her so that i could like oh, a baby I love it. yeah <laughs> and then i was and everybody's like joking about oh cat dad you know the yeah and then i was i had elsie in her little sling one day and i was like uh petting her face so that she wouldn't squirm and just sort of like and then i um I was, you know, I started to sing to her because that's what you do. You sing to your cat. And then I had to get something out of the fridge, but like both hands were occupied. So when I went to close the fridge, I closed the fridge door with my hip and I just had this like momentary epiphany. That the song I was singing to my cat was You Are My Sunshine. Like I'm a <laughs> fucking musician. I know thousands of songs. <laughs> and he somehow chose the what the song that my mother used to sing to me. And then to do that gesture of closing the fridge with my hip, which I'd only mm-hmm. ever seen my mom and my sister and other moms do. Hold
1: I was like, yeah
0: I'm not a cat dad. I'm a fucking cat mom. That <laughs> I'm like moving into this part of it. my life where. I'm, an, I, you know, because my dad never had any of that kind of shit. You know, I'm at, at as a 45 year old man, I'm moving into the like Big Mom energy, and uh, <laughs> and I fucking love it. You know, the, if I, I could nurse it. my cat from one breast and my dog from the other, I would fucking do it.
1: I love that you're expanding the meaning of manhood. That's the way that it should be done. Uh can I tell you something funny that I thought of while you're talking? Um, I saw
0: you writing and I was like, oh, here comes here I comes know, trouble. No, no.
1: This is not trouble. This is just the thing that I was thinking of which is, you know, very funny to me because I've been thinking about it before, which is uh you know, obviously like more people like dogs than cats, right? So most trad women, they tend to like you'll see for example that it's a common trope or a common thing on Twitter bet women on dating apps, they'll like guys that have dogs in their picture, right? But they do not always love guys that have cats in their picture, right? And there's like jokes. It's like a trope where people will make fun of men that have cats, right? So
0: I was in the New York Post for this.
1: Right. Oh my God, (laughs) Mishkor, that's right. Okay. So this is what I want to give you an opinion on, which is this. What I think is ironic and very sad for trad women is this, um, Trad women, they like dudes who like dogs, right? And I know that you're a dog and cat guy, so that's an exception. But for now, we're going to categorize you as a cat guy. That's that's so, my
0: working uh, definition of polyamory.
1: Yes, exactly. That works. That works because it puts you in a weird category. But usually uh, trad women are attracted to uh, men who have a dog, right? And what's funny is that they think of the man who has a dog as being like warm and loving and all this stuff. But it's like a dog is a very friendly creature that likes most people. So it's kind of slutty in a way. (laughs) And so I would tell you that the man who only owns a dog is probably also kind of slutty and likes to (laughs) be friendly towards everyone in the same kind of way and flirtatious towards everyone in the same kind of way. Whereas what's weird about cat men is that even if you are just a strictly cat man, or if you also have dogs, if you successfully have cats and cats love you, it requires a very personal specific relationship. You know, like you cannot be a cat lover of all cats. Cats have specific personalities. So for the trad women, the irony is that cat men are more what you're actually looking for, which are men who will put up with like a weird, crazy personality and tailor themselves to it and figure out how to make you happy <laughs> and like really build that bond. That's what cat men would do. The problem is that cat men are kind of by definition not treads because they like don't go with the whole like I got to be manly and have a big manly dog thing. So they're going to miss out. So I don't know if this works, but this is my defense of um, catmen. I think catmen are probably across the board good in, good in, in the sack.
0: I, 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 think I'm, I think I'm pet fluid. Oh, okay, okay. That works. Uh, that works. The, um, the other thing is I'm not the... I don't know i wanted to say like i'm not a cat guy i'm just this cat guy yeah it's like when you know people are like oh look at this picture of my cat i'm like you yeah, know it's fucking boring no I, yeah, yeah exactly. it's not my cat the, <laughs> yeah the i mean i i would i would counter that i think that um uh cat men are trads because they've entered into a monogamous relationship into a monogamous
1: relationship sure sure the, true that
0: is true hmm, the, I, okay I hate, uh I ate molly. I feel kind of like sleepy and dopey today because I ate Molly with my dog the other night. And, <laughs> you gave uh, your dog
1: Molly? <laughs> no,
0: well everybody says, like, oh, you gave your dog Molly. And I'm like, no, I ate enough Molly for both of us. But okay. dogs are kind of always on Molly. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're totally. like, just pet me. Like, you know, my dog just will fucking come and just lay on top of me. She'll open her mouth and just put her mouth on my face and then leave Oh my it
1: God, that's so horrifying to me. You know why? Because <laughs> I, I do love dogs. They're great dogs. Dogs are great pets. Uh, but I am an acid person. And I think this is the crux of our problem. Uh, I think acid people are more like cat-leaning people. And uh, ecstasy and uh, molly people are more dog-leaning people. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I feel like there's
0: a, a, a coherent argument there. The um, I those DM- of you, those of
1: you who are like in the middle who do everything, don't you can't skew my data, okay? <laughs> you're yeah, you're going exclude. Yes, yeah, uh, I'm gonna exclude you with the cats and the dogs and the acid and the Molly. <laughs> I, I smoked DMT one time with um with my cat Ooh. in the
0: room. Mm-hmm. And usually, I just you know keep my eyes closed because then you can sort of you know disappear into the ether but i had my eyes open and i was watching my cat and she's like calico and i just watched the her different colors like flicker through her body like she yeah. was, um you know she was sort of a a flame or something and she just looked at me and it, i felt like she was sort of like what are you doing what, no you silly guy you know the that she had sort of uh, kindly judgmental eyes
1: yeah know what you're going
0: through yeah the um what you know my um I, i i talk every podcast about my my friend mark Lanigan who just passed and he was um he was a hard ass absolutely like definitely one of the like toughest guys i've ever known and when i uh when i first got a cat he he texted me and he was like bro i just want to tell you i'm so happy you got a cat real men love cats too yeah and that was uh I don't know it was such it was such an affirmation for me, the you know, because the because it was pushing back on the whole like dudes with dogs narrative. Yeah. The, and also the um you know, the the subtext is that um real men are tender real yes no you know that exactly. nurturing is not a, a it's not a exclusively feminine trait that like yeah real men nurture too i'm gonna put that on a bumper sticker on the back of my fucking truck
1: yeah <laughs> totally Absolutely. Or even look, when you said, uh, I'm not a cat guy, I'm a this cat guy. Imagine (laughs) how many women are just dying for the guy they're fucking to be like, I'm not a fucking ladies man. I'm a this lady man. (laughs) All right. That's what I meant about like your attitude towards your particular cat is more of what trad ladies wish they had from their men men even yeah. though you're right you did enter into a monogamous relationship with your cat my cat is tried as fuck. she will beat up other cats that come near me the whole deal so i don't know it's confusing but yeah mm, tell me this what is the big thing that you've been working on thinking about what's going on in your life i want to know what happens to us at 45. <laughs> oh <laughs> tell <my> me. God. <laughs> nothing good
0: nothing good the um the well, let me, let me get this out before I get into that. The, um, we're, we're in deep into the podcast now. Um, so I, I can confess to you that I had significant anti-Louisa bias.
1: Oh my the, God. Why? Since because when?
0: Because the, because I oh remember before fucking COVID and all this, you know, ridiculous bullshit, the yeah. sitting in a bar with Jake in Bushwick, and he was telling me, um, you know, Oh, I, I met this chick, Louisa. You should really meet her. She's, she's really great. And the, I love Jake, um the defend Jake Flores at all possible or at, at all mm. costs. The, and I was like, what does this bitch have that I don't have?
1: And, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it was a jealousy <laughs> thing. Okay. I was like, what did and, I do? What did I do?
0: <laughs> and now I know what you have that I don't have the, and I'm like, you know, go to her, Jake. The. <laughs>
1: Well, I am Polly. So, uh, unfortunately, I mean, I hope Jake, Jake has always, he should always feel special because we are, we do the podcast together. But with that said, um I have a real problem with small talk. I'm not good at small talk. I don't really want to fucking see yeah. pictures of your kids or any of that shit. And I know that that's like a selfish, shitty thing to say because uh, small talk is about creating comfort with the other person but i am i don't know i like to get straight to things and get to things that matter to me and um i have my boundaries well defined and so i expect other people to define their boundaries like if you don't want to talk to death about me i mean about death to me then when i bring it up you should be able to say like uh i don't really want to talk about this right now i'm gonna go talk to someone else i'm like walk away (laughs) you know what i mean yeah so i make people uncomfortable a lot i guess but um most often i have good interactions and deep conversations of this kind with people
0: i i don't think there have been any strong meaningful relationships that have been forged from long conversations about the weather
1: exactly yeah exactly and i do get that there's like some uh well you know what it is especially with us you're not in comedy thank god for you but uh in comedy it took me a lot of years to like figure out that i was coming into interactions genuinely and authentically like being like oh wow cool who are you who do you want what do you want to talk about what's going on in your life and other people were coming to me i don't want to say inauthentically because it was authentically their interest but they were coming for a specific networking purpose of what can they get out of this interaction can they give me their card can i recommend them for something well you know like something like that yeah and it used to hurt my feelings when i realized oh shit like i thought that we were like getting into shit but you were just like humoring me until you could ask for the thing you wanted (laughs) you know and so now i've had to realize like you know that's fine i understand the people for whom their art is their career and their way to make money so they have to think of everybody around them as a stepping stone to the next paycheck I will try my best to remove myself from that equation and focus my energies on the people who want to talk to me as a person and who I want to get to know as people. Yeah,
0: the My real friends will call me and they'll be like, I need to borrow $1,000 and I can't tell you why <laughs> and I can't tell you when I can pay it back. And yeah i'm like hi hello you know and then the 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 fakers the posers the punishers the you know they're always like oh how's your sister she she had that thing with her allergies i'm like why do you fucking know that you creep you know Uh um it's just this extensive buttering up the what i've been going through lately recently the i think in a uh you know a cis guys development you know particularly the somebody like me a white cis bro um is you know at a certain point you have like a realization that not everybody has the same experience that you do right and then there's like another wave that comes where you're like i have been mostly horrible (laughs) i have really you know i've i've acted terribly i've i've um i've heard a lot of people's feelings i've excluded people i've i've ended relationships for terrible reasons i've you know where you you sort of under you finally grasp the amount of chaos you've inflicted on the your world and the people around you and then you settle into this thing of like um uh understanding and accepting and realizing um how the degree to which you're horrible and how horrible you are and then you live in that for 10 years or more. And then I'm going through this third wave where I've just been so fucking down on myself for such a long time. And I'm starting to realize that people keep telling me that I'm a good guy and I'm like, you're fucking full of shit. And then, but I'm trying to do you know, what you talked about of like, um, each day taking in new data and uh, evaluating it and reconsidering it and stuff like that. and so i'm I'm starting to see that um, the that I am I am more good than I am bad, um, but that sort of deep in my heart, I have this um, incredibly deep conviction. It, the first thing I feel in the morning, the last thing I feel before I go to sleep, which is that I'm a fucking piece of shit Yeah. and the, and it's really hard to live that way. And it it's particularly hard to live sober that way, you know, because when you're, um, when you look in the mirror every morning and you're like, fucking this again, the, yeah. um, you want to escape and, you know, alcohol provides a fucking reliable escape, you know? Um. So, you know, some of it is is trying. You know, the and 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 that you know that's in part why I wanted to uh, why I wanted to get you on the podcast and and why I wanted to sort of uh, corner you so I can tell you at length the ways in which your conversations with Jake have been helpful and you know and why they've been helpful. You know, the um, when you you guys were talking about uh, Euphoria and Cal, you know that like. Um, this is the price you pay of, um, squeezing yourself into, um, a box that you don't fit in. You know, if you're, um, if you're gay and you try to play it straight, if you're, um, if you're queer and you try to play it trad or you, if you try to be, you know, if you're fucking Rachel Dolezal, you know, the, if you try to be something you're not, it shit will go badly for you. Incredibly badly. You know, the.
1: And And you'll hurt other people
0: yes yes you'll Mm -hmm. hurt everybody around you yeah the so i don't know you know i mean a lot of it at this point is just sort of the i'm also at a weird point in my life where um i got the book deal i wrote the memoir the you know my memoir was largely about uh forgiving my dad and then yeah. when the memoir came out i realized that he'd been like lying to me the whole thing like he lied to me when he was 15 and then lied to me again about the same shit when i was 35 i published a fucking book about it about like repairing my relationship with my dad and then uh it was all bullshit you know oh
1: uh, shit the, mm-hmm.
0: and um but i feel like i'm at a point in my life where i um you know i talk to younger comics who are like so excited to go on the road and go on tour and i'm like yeah. if i never go on tour again that would be fucking amazing you know i'm, I'm I've, like do i need to go back to arkansas again you know i played all the granted jake and i ha- did have a fucking killer gig in amarillo last time yeah. but i'm always like i don't need i don't want to go to amarillo i don't need to go back to amarillo yeah. i've like you know been all over the world doing it the but also i'm 45 i'm in good health i'll probably live Another 30 or 40 years? Yeah. That's fucking terrifying. <laughs> like, what do I do <laughs> with the rest of that time? You know, I I don't know how to enjoy totally. myself. The um, and I get I absolutely get the sense that you're enjoying your life.
1: I am, yeah. And um, I think you can too, Mishka. You know, <laughs> like uh, you know, first of all, the guilt thing, I think, uh we have to recognize is like a a normal thing. It's not something that only people who feel extra bad feel or anything like that. It's like we all because of the way that society kind of sets us up to fail. In a lot of ways, we end up hurting people along the way. And what's kind of hard to accept is that, you know, in some cases, yeah, we should say we're sorry and go back and make amends with people. But in other cases it's really not even it's it's like um it would be shitty of you to go back and like bring something up to someone because you want forgiveness and you you thought about this and maybe they've buried it and maybe they moved on or maybe they didn't think of it as a bad thing so you know this uh i guess this is a side note but like Uh, Closure, I think, is an idea that is uh, really made up and stupid and something that we need to forget about because nobody owes you anything. Whatever you feel about an interaction with somebody, whether you hurt them or they hurt you, nobody owes you anything. You need to figure out a way to work through the things you did and the things that happened to you without it depending on another person's approval of your decisions or forgiveness of you or your forgiveness of it. No you need to figure out how it's about you you know what i mean and yeah yeah, so i would say like don't don't i mean feel the guilt because i think it's the thing that anchors you down to being a good person and remembering that you don't want to be like that again that's the lesson that you learned but i don't know if you've heard me talk about this with jake on the show but um one of my big things that i uh see in everything is the way that we see time right so the way that we see time and the way time operates on us um affects all of us and i think it relates to this which is that most people in the west we see time everything we do is about the distant past and the distant future right so either it's about where i came from and what i did in the past and what i'm supposed to be for all the people i represent so all that distant past shit is shit you carry on your shoulders That is like a weight of like uh, this will define all my decisions right and then the second thing that defines all our decisions is the distant future. My five year plan my 10 year plan what i'm supposed to be all the people I have to take care of in the future everything that my family sacrificed so that I could be X Y and Z. And what that does is. Evacuate the present of any meaning or importance so that we stop thinking about am I happy today, do I enjoy the people around me today, do I like myself today, am I do I am I proud of my behaviors for the last 24 hours and in this moment, and instead we just. um, kind of like assign every behavior and every decision to it was either in. In the context of I'm trying to achieve my future, or I'm trying to alleviate my past, and that makes it okay. And the truth is, it doesn't, it doesn't, if you in the present are hurting someone to alleviate your past or achieve your future, that is shitty, and it is not something you should do. So, my thought is, you should be aware of your past, because it defines you, and you can't pretend that you didn't come from where you came from and it teaches you the lessons that you learned in the past but you can't make your entire life about what happened in the past any more than you can make it about what you want to be in the future it has to be about who you are today and how you treat people today and that will lay the groundwork for the future that you supposedly want you know what i mean
0: the this is fascinating to me because the you know one of the things that we talk about in um in recovery is uh the eternal present of the alcoholic yeah that when you're um you know when you're drinking it's all about getting the next drink or going to going to the next bar or getting some coke or will this girl go home with me or i need pizza or i need i need to yeah. ride home i need to sleep right now it's everything is right now right it's like, now, like right
1: satisfying now. the now the, yeah
0: yeah and and fuck the consequences you know and it, it doesn't matter that when I start doing shots, everything goes wrong. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, deny the past. And but I'm do you see how that's like shots. a
1: reaction against what most of us are doing?
0: Well, yeah, because well, we're all then, ignoring
1: the present. Then those of you who, um, get lost in living for the present, you are rebelling against this idea. Yeah. And this the,
0: pressure. And, 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 and some of that is good. The, you know, the, I think the thing is, is when it's chemically induced, when it, you can't no, you when can't you become self it,
1: Destructive. Yeah
0: the, and then the thing is too, that coming out of that, breaking that spell, now it's virtually impossible for me to live in the present. Everything is, is, you know, it's, you know, the hubris to despair, you know, that it's swung the other way. Yeah. The, I had a conversation with a woman who we not really dated. We sort of like fooled around Jesus, 15 years ago, you know, Mm -hmm. at the end of my drinking career. And the, I remember like not, Not doing anything abusive but being like rude or impatient or hurtful or like not a gentleman to her the and so when we were chatting i was sort of like um trying to apologize to her for that and she was like i don't remember any of that the and I was like, really? And she was like, yeah, no. I yeah. she was like, I, I remember me being like kind of nasty to you a couple of times. And there was that one time where I got too drunk, you know. The and I walked away from that conversation and I was like, I I want to press myself on her and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please, but she, she hasn't just forgiven me, she's forgotten it. It's as if yeah. it hasn't, it never happened. And the I can prioritize my experience and inflict this apology on her, or I can say, okay, it's all good and forgive myself and move on. And that's the fucking hardest thing because I remember it, you know,
1: but it's good that you talked about it because it sounds like, uh, you both were going through unhealthy behaviors and not even really seeing each other and just kind of like acting through your bad behaviors at each other. And so you are worried now that the behaviors you, you did at her were hurtful and you need to apologize, but she's saying to you like no I thought I was going through my shit and being shitty to you. So it doesn't make it okay, it is actually just a thing where we have to realize that very often, we find the people who are hurting in the same way that we are. And we enter into a relationship where we think we're the same and we're hearing each other and we understand each other but in reality we just are getting to yell at the same wall together you know what i mean
0: yeah it's a it's and that's of, why you
1: ultimately like didn't hurt each other but you also didn't help each other
0: yeah it's you know the if you guys are both sort of apologizing to each other it's like an inverse argument
1: or something exactly yeah the, where you and, could recognize that you weren't good for each other but you didn't yeah. you weren't you didn't hurt each other you just didn't help each other
0: the the other thing with guilt though is that i still Um, I feel it like a phantom limb where the, when, when people attack me, when people, you know, if somebody says something shitty to me, then um, I'm like, oh, you're, you're, you're definitely right. And, and what's more, it's worse than that. You know, I, and I had somebody attack me the other day and, you know, sort of, you know, he gave a laundry list of like, oh, that this was fucked up. This was fucked up. This was fucked up. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. And then he did something that would just was sort of like beyond the pale you know that like really made me freak out and i was like wait you're attacking me like in this whole narrative you've left out the thing where your fucking car caught on fire and i like grabbed oscar my neighbor we <laughs> sprinted down the street and like we put your your fucking car out while you stood you know a hundred yards away, we were there ten feet away, yeah. literally risking our lives to put your to put out the fucking fire you know and then once I thought of that, there were a bunch of instances where I was like, oh wait you you sold me out as a friend at every opportunity, and then now you've put cobbled together this attack and and i've i haven't just agreed with it i've magnified it in my mind because my my guilt muscle is so strong you yeah. know
1: that you were just like yeah totally you're right yeah but it sounds you did not have this person in your life still right no <laughs> good okay because i was gonna say like uh one of the things you know i said that closure thing earlier but okay one of the things that i think that i learned because i had an unstable childhood where i moved a lot and i lived across cultures and that did make me this kind of person that i am today but one of the things that i learned that I think um, people who maybe had more stable uh, childhoods, maybe not perfect, but like you lived all in the same place in the same culture all the time. One of the things I don't really get is this whole like being friends with people forever thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I really do not understand like still being friends with somebody that you knew in elementary school, because I just am like, what do you have in common with this person other than you alphabetically sat behind them for five years or whatever. But, um I say this to say that I think it's important to encourage people to leave friends behind, you know, like a lot of times we are friends with people. Like I said earlier, where we have the same kind of hurt. And so we find each other and we inflict the same kind of hurt on each other. We have friends where uh, we became friends during a particular phase of our lives. And now we've grown apart and we're different. And there's no reason you should keep trying to force that friendship into place just because you had a good friendship when you were teenagers let's say um same goes for friendships or romantic relationships like if you think of your life as how people enrich your life in the present and how you enrich their life in the present the fact that something ends doesn't disqualify it as good it doesn't mean that it was all wasted time it was all excellent while it happened in the present whether it was you were doing drugs together you were getting drunk together you had great sex or you were mean to each other and it worked out because you were getting your fucking anger out they were all interactions that led to the person you are today so they were all meaningful and valuable it doesn't mean that you need to force it into believing that you can still be friends as 40 something year olds you know what i mean I totally agree
0: that, you know, I think that sometimes it's like, oh yeah, we were at summer camp for three weeks and then you fucking high five and be like, man, that was the best of times. See you never, you know, (laughs) like we completed our friendship. We completed our relationship. We checked all the boxes. Now it's time for us to both move on, knowing that we did the thing, you know, the, yeah, I'm all about ending relationships. The um one I have to, I have to touch on some of these questions that I've, I've written down the um one of the things that i found to be super pervasive in american culture is this outsider fantasy you know the and we see it manifest with comics who are like oh i literally only you know if if, if, you know i literally only had money to buy ramen and it's like yeah but if you didn't have money to buy ramen your parents would fucking float you two grand or pay your rent or you had the safety net you know the that i think it's there's this sort of orphan fantasy and this outsider fantasy. You know, I, when I was, when I was in New York, I played in a band with an Indian woman and it was sort of harmonium bass and drums, this like sort of screaming punk rock. And we would play these shows in Ohio and there would be the, the sort of shirtless white bros with big muscles and backwards white baseball caps, like in the front row singing along. And I would like, Mm -hmm. when I was, you know, hitting them up to buy me shots after the show, I would be like the, no offense, but what do you see in this band? You know, like (laughs) where, you know, we're all fucking alcoholics and rejects. And, you know, the, um, what do you find it? And one dude told me earnestly, he was like, well, you know, I, I was always an outsider growing up because like everybody in my family liked football and I liked baseball. I was like, are you fucking (laughs) the, (laughs) <laughs> so there is this we all want to feel like we're yeah. outsiders like we're we're orphans we're the, like yeah. we're underdogs yeah. yeah the underdogs the um but you um literally an orphan in some regards the um or you know in uh a cultural orphan in some ways you know in that you um you're you're colombian correct
1: yeah but i'm not from here or from there yeah yeah the, <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah i'm um the, I was born in Canada and then moved to the United States when I was eight. So, like, all my American friends are like, "Bro, you're American," and yeah, I'm like, "Yeah." Until I say "out and about," and then you guys tell me to yeah. fucking talk funny. <laughs> and like, when Trump was in office, I was Canadian as hell, man. You yeah. know the. Um, so, I guess what's curious to me is that, in many ways, you know, and and you know, by being an outspoken socialist um, and you know, an advocate for non-traditional lifestyles, um, the you are an outsider, but um, talking to you and listening to your podcast, and you know, reading your tweets and shit like that. The um, I get you feel to me like you belong. The Do you feel like you belong? Do you fe- feel like an outsider? The I I mean I f- it's maybe it's not my call to make, but I feel to me you feel it feels to me like you feel deeply seated in the human race, very human, that you belong?
1: Oof, definitely in the human race, absolutely. But that's weird, because even before you said that last part, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm definitely an outsider. And to me, it goes back to what I was telling you about, like uh, just realizing at a very young age that I would never have my parents' approval, right? It kind of like put me in a position where I realized I would never be in the center of anything I would never be popular I would never be the no but it's like didn't make me feel bad you know what I mean like it I felt like I was a satellite to everything and so by the time that I was like in America in middle school I was like a little rocker kid right And I was like a weirdo, but I also uh, smoked cigarettes with the hip hop. No, I smoked, I smoked cigarettes with the goth kids. And then I would like skip school with the hip hop kids who had like all the rims on their car. So it was like a satellite to multiple. I hung out with the football players, which in Miami, uh, the football players are not the jocks. The football players are the burnouts because in Miami, the jocks are the soccer players. Right. So the soccer player team is the fucking like we're so hot athletes. We go to state finals and all that shit. The football players are the guys that do acid and get drunk on the bus on the way to their like games or whatever. So I hung out with them. So I just always uh, cultivated a life of I never had interest in being in the center. I liked having like being able to peek over (laughs) some shoulders and see what's going on and like make a few friends here and there and i think i guess what i'm trying to say is that i became comfortable with being an outside observer everywhere i go because i realized early on that i don't really belong anywhere and you know when i go to colombia my cousins and like everybody is like i dress different i talk different they can i they can tell i'm american (laughs) you know they want me to say things in english for them and then when i'm in america It's like, oh, where are you from? Where are your parents from? (laughs) You know, Like it's very clearly I'm not from here either. So I'm not from anywhere. And I've never felt the feeling of being from anywhere. I've never belonged. (laughs) I don't even understand what that feels like. So I think I've just been confident about the fact that I don't need that, I guess. And that actually I'm very happy with my vantage point of being able to see, multiple groups and see that like not no single group is a hegemony to me or Mm -hmm. is the cool like i should be like this group they're all equally not that strong (laughs) because they're all just composed of some people who want to belong
0: yeah that i mean that makes a lot of sense to me the um it's funny because you know the. I started off thinking like, oh, we have nothing in common. You know the, but um, my family is deeply Catholic. My grandmother had seventeen children. My mom. Mine was,
1: had fourteen. Yeah. Oh, awesome! Oh, the, yeah.
0: My mom was this. It was the second of uh, you know the seventeen kids. You know, so mm-hmm. I sort of grew up. I think I have six sixty-seven cousins. Gosh. Everybody has huge families. Got mm-hmm. married early. You know the. Same. Yeah. And I remember you know talking to. And i figured out early on that there was nothing that i could ever do that would make my father happy the you know again the polarization the hubris and despair my mom would love me unconditionally no matter what i did and that my um nothing would ever make my father happy nothing would ever be good enough the and then just um figuring out that um you know, I, I left home when I was fifteen, started school, the and then my parent, you know, my family sort of fell apart. So I never had a place to return home to.
1: Same. And yeah. that's
0: that set absolutely set me free, that I could go anywhere. That's a
1: big deal, Mishka, because yeah. you know one of the, okay. So you were asking me about this like um, play this play acting thing that some rich kids do. I guess yeah, sort yeah. of is what you were getting at. Or cosplay. Think, yeah, yeah, and I think what it is is that. You know, it's not to deny all these people who want to be artists that they went through some difficult times trying to be artists, I understand, but they don't seem to understand that there is a big difference between disappointing your parents and being poor. (laughs) (laughs) So if you disappoint your parents and they don't want to send you money to pay your rent and they don't want to give you money so you can live in New York City and try to be a comic or try to be an actor or try to be a musician then yeah, you might have to get a retail job and eat some ramen and like live life like the rest of us do. It still does not mean that you're poor because the moment that you give up the charade in your parents' words, right? I don't think it's a charade, I think it's your art. But the moment that you give up the charade according to your parents, they will completely fund your life as long as you do whatever it is that they want you to do. And I understand that that's unfair and that sucks but you need to understand that the rest of us do not have that option. (laughs) So when a poor person decides to be a comic or a musician or an actor, they are truly risking everything. They are risking not just everything for themselves, but everything in their families and everyone that came before them because they are choosing not to be a a profitable producer who's going to contribute to the family living better and instead they're selfishly going to pursue their art and see if they can succeed at it that is not the same position as you someone who is just like i don't want to go to the ivy league school that my three generations of grandparents went to (laughs) i'm sorry i understand that you're going through something but it's not the same thing that those of us who don't have this uh fallback kind of situation. Yeah. And like when you say uh you know like I don't have a house to go back to, I think that's such a big deal because that's something that I've tried to explain to people like I'm not from anywhere. I don't have a home, like a home where that I grew up in to go back to. I don't have a neighborhood, you know, like I have a neighborhood where I went to high school or something like that, but There is no ancestral, (laughs) we all grew up here and my house got maintained by my family forever because we didn't even enjoy that level of financial security where you would hold on to a home for one generation. And that I think is something that is a signifier of how much like race, um, nationality, nothing else is equal to class living through the situation of like homelessness with your parents, which I've gone through, or uh, even like I went through the situation of um, (laughs) tell me if you've ever had to do this Mishka where like, the landlord is coming to knock on the door to ask for the rent and your parents are making you answer the door and lie (sighs) and be like, No, my mom's not here. Just come back tomorrow. Yeah. So you learn from a young age to deal with the bureaucracy of shit because you might be homeless if you don't help your family out with like do a lie here and there do a little crying you know like whatever you gotta do
0: i i never had had the same situation i never had that until i moved to new york That i do remember my mom and my sister were renting a one-bedroom apartment in Colorado and um, the my sister would sleep on the couch and my mom would sleep in the bedroom and then um, when it rained the roof leaked so bad Mm. so I was staying there with them so I was sleeping on the floor and then when it rained the roof leaked so bad that we literally took out every pot and had them like all around the apartment I mean it was like eight of them and the we just like lay there (laughs) <laughs> laughing <And> that, that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that was like that was one instance where i i absolutely felt like i belonged you know yeah. that like you know totally. like it's the three of us and like fuck all y'all you know same
1: but, uh, i had it was me my mom and my brother and i think uh after my dad died in elementary school in miami we had a fucking like a like 1990 jetta and it <laughs> leaked the roof leaked so when it rained we had to wake up earlier than the school time because we had to like scoop the water out of the car to be able to like be driven (laughs) to school. So that's, that's what I'm saying. It's like, uh, it's the kind of experiences that taught me that it's not just about like uh, race or about gender or anything like that. It really is a class situation that we or like, it's a class solidarity that we have to find because there's a bunch of us who are living this kind of life where we are, existing day by day and then there are some other people who have some distant future goals and so they choose to sacrifice the all of the legitimacy and uh privilege that their distant past gives them to cosplay being like us and it sucks because it's not the same it doesn't mean that I don't respect your desire to be an artist but you can't keep pretending that you are somehow living the same life as those of us who actually had to sacrifice a lot to go be different. (laughs) You know,
0: I I actually like um, I feel bad for people who grew up with wealth and stability and security because my entire life, you know, or most of my life I was able to cast my unhappiness as a product of being Society. poor yeah. working you know having to work constantly never having enough money having i remember like working at, doing construction working at bloomingdale's and like riding the elevator with the shop girls and they just looked at me like i was a fucking dumb construction worker and i was like yeah i have i have thoughts and dreams and i came here i came to new york to do a thing and this ain't it but like that doesn't mean i'm not human you know the and then now like I'm doing better than I have in my life. the And it's as a result of, you know, working since I was fucking 11. And, and it's the result being,
1: of being authentically for yourself, Mishka. And that's what I think like rich, rich kids don't have, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, this is why I can't feel bad for them is because they ultimately, uh, they wish they could maybe like do the things we do, take the risks that we do. And they try to, but it's always with the idea that if they fail they won't really fail they can always go back to i'll go do this which is almost like we are bungee jumping or like we're jumping off a bridge and they are jumping off with a harness on you get me yeah so yeah i was even gonna if, say a
0: trampoline yeah you, know, or a you tram- can't yeah, fail on a trampoline
1: exactly so like you might have good form but you didn't take the risks that the other people took And that's fucking fine. And it's fine. You don't, I guess what I would say is like, you don't have to pretend that you're going through what we're going through. You can acknowledge that you had all of these other privileges and benefits that allowed you to be the artist that you are today. As long as you don't pull the ladder up behind you and you do the best that you can to give access to other people, then that's fine. It's fine to have privilege. It's weird to pretend that you live the same life as a poor person trying to be an artist yeah it's
0: yeah it's like a poor face
1: yeah exactly (laughs) exactly
0: the um louisa i we could talk all night and i i don't doubt that by after another two hours we'll have solved all the world's problems
1: (laughs) we probably um, will make them worse (laughs) actually
0: that too the um give me your plugs the what are you doing where can people hear you know more of your stuff how can they support you the i uh i love your brain even when you're yelling at my friend jake and i'm so <laughs> traumatized because mom I and dad are fighting i do feel I, bad when
1: i yell at jake the, uh,
0: <laughs> the, i um i i'd love your um your intellect and your courage and the you know and that you do you you don't give a fuck because you give a fuck so much you care so much about um, what is the right answer here? What is the what is the truth that you don't care if you piss people off or hurt their feelings or whatever? I think that's so fucking admirable. But where you. where can Hon- people find you? How can we support you?
1: Uh, honestly, Micah, thank you for that because uh, you know it, nothing like hurts me more, gets me like honestly hurting for more days in a row than like when somebody thinks that I said something in a way that was meant to be hurtful. Because I know that maybe it's insensitive but my intent is always to empower all kinds of people to live better and live more freely and live the way they want to live. Um, So I really appreciate that you see that as my intent uh, but as far as plugs i don't have anything i just do why you mad pod uh on twitter on or you can email us at why you mad pod at gmail.com find it it's a podcast that i do with a comedian named jake flores friend of mishka's wonderful guy uh we talk about comedy all the stuff we talked about with mishka today and lots of other random shit that make us mad so listen to that and then um oh i'm starting a comedy show mishka uh-oh. uh yeah i know i can't i can't stay away you're a recidivist. Uh, you're getting actually you're getting the the premiere announcement on the oh. Mishka podcast uh i'm starting a show with gary Goldman. uh he cool. is go he's great and it's gonna be called the clinic it's gonna be a monthly for the next few months and then in july it'll be twice a month uh in brooklyn it's gonna be well, whatever, it's different dates. So just follow me so that you can do find out. You, do you when know the what the dates is. are in, in July? In July, I do. Hold on. I'd have to check it out. When are you gonna be here in July?
0: I um I get there end of June. And then I, I think I'm there till July twelfth.
1: Okay, hold on, because I think it's ju- the first and third Tuesday. Ooh, The fifth and the nineteenth.
0: Oh, awesome. I, I will i will come out to uh to the one on the fifth
1: okay cool yeah hit me up so i can put you on the list but for everyone else we're doing one april night uh april 18 may 16 and then july 5th and 19th and then after that it'll be twice a month it'll be a fun show with an excellent comic gary Goldman doing a long spot a long set and then a few new people that we would want you to love and know awesome that'll, that'll be great that's all i got
0: Louisa, thank you so much for doing this. This has been awesome. The I um I've been waiting to talk to you forever. The so it's it's really, I don't know, it's super cool to connect with you and just be able to sort of uh, interrogate you.
1: Hell yeah. I can't wait. And I can't wait to see you when you're in New York.
0: Yeah, we'll meet in person finally. Absolutely. Uh, awesome. It's Thanks for doing it.
1: Thank you. Catching up with
0: friends who are. Arguably more talented than him.